Is there greater isolation in the Australian desert or being unable to fit in with society? Welcome, my Mere Mortalites, to another round of the Mere Mortals book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals podcast, but also this one where I dive deeper into the books that I'm reading to get out the juicy information to provide you with some reviews to look at some interesting themes that are contained within these books. And I do have a fun one for you today. It is called Voss by Patrick White. So this was published in 1957 and it's about 450 pages in length. So it took me about 10 hours to really get through. It's a story of adventure into the Australian wilderness, although it's not a particularly, (laughs) doesn't have a nice ending per se. Uh, It's set in 1845. So this was when Australia was kind of being formed or colonized, I guess you'd call it. And there's two principal characters. One is Johann Ulrich Voss and the other is Laura Trevelvian. And so this is a fictional story, but it does have some loose um, baseness on reality, which I'll talk about soon. We start off in the New South Wales colony uh, of uh, New South Wales. And this is where the, the two principal characters meet. And then Voss goes off on his adventure to basically try and travel across Australia. So he goes with a a crew, a a band, a party of people, and we sort of switch between the two stories of him and then of Laura back in New South Wales. So it's a tale of two things. There's two two characters, there's two kind of separate um, places that are are really being looked at, the inland Australia and then her home in New South Wales. And then also there's roughly two time periods. So we focus on the time period where they're, they know each other and his kind of expedition going. And then there's a reflection afterwards of uh, after everything's kind of been said and done 20 years later and um, people have grown up. So I guess it's an exploration of uh, maturity of, of her and, and of Voss. And there's very complex weavings of, of tension, of passion, of love, of religion. There's a whole lot contained, I guess, within this book. I'll touch upon the author, and he was an Aussie author, Patrick White, but he was uh, British-born, so I'm not sure how much we can particularly claim him as Aussie, although he did come here when he was six uh, six months old, so yeah, I'd say he's pretty Aussie. <laughs> and he was a Nobel Prize winner, and I believe he's the only Nobel Prize winner for literature that Australia has ever produced, so uh, this book was kind of contained within that package, so um, it's definitely one uh, that is, um, I suppose, intriguing and has been recognized as a award-worthy. And as I mentioned, it's loosely based upon an actual person called Ludwig Leicht, Leichhardt, so uh, a very German name, and it was indeed a, a German who who traveled uh, through Australia, and Voss in the book is, is German as well. Uh, all the other characters, I'm unclear of if there was a a girl called Laura or a, you know, if he had a love interest of many of the uh, associated people in this party, I I don't know. I don't get the feeling it was. I think it was based primarily on just this one guy who did indeed uh, travel inland Australia in this time period of 1845, mid 1800s. So let's get onto the themes themselves. And the first one that really came out for me was doom. Why do some people seek self-destruction? Uh, Voss is a very complex character and we see this right from the get-go and he's kind of set apart from many other people and there's no real categorical reason for why he decides to go on this trip. 
sort of in the interest of science, sort of for, um, I guess, maybe the fame or the exploration or the adventure aspect, but it's not, none of them are really strong motives. And as we start to read further into the book, we get hints at, at kind of what he's looking for. So I'm going to jump to the middle now. This is page 258. And this is a section where I guess it, it, talks about kind of what his uh, what he is actually looking for. So, then Voss, who had been watching his companion's blurry face, knew that Palfreyman could never rescue him, as he had almost hoped during the story of the Hunchback Sister. Although the brother would be saved by the strength of his delusion, the Hunchback Sister, together with himself, were res- reserved, the Germans suspected, for the Gothic splendors. So, the moon rose in the thicket of the Brigalow and was glittering in the eyes of the condemned. So, we kind of know uh, as as this goes on, we saw more passages like this where it's kind of hinting that he he knows he's going to his own demise. He is really looking forward to not... There's, there's no real intention of him surviving per se. It's not like, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to make sure that all the team, my team members and the people in my party who I'm responsible for because I'm the leader... How are we going to get through to the other side of this journey? And uh, when will I know when to call it quits and, and head back home? There's never really any indication that that is what is going through his mind. So there's kind of two theories here for, for this. And um, I what I would say is there's a, a definite kind of self-destruction aspect to this. He knows he's going to his own demise. And it's like, well, why? Why would you want to do this? And so, my first theory is damnation. So, doom, um, funnily enough, I believe is actually derived from from damnation. And this is kind of divine punishment for a transgression, I guess. So, this is where you could say uh, he had no choice, like he was being compelled onwards by by God somewhat to to um, seek his own destruction for a, for a transgression. And so, we see here on page 44... Uh, just a, a small little hint uh, of, I guess, why he might have transgressed. And so, this is someone who's talking to him and he says, Mr. Voss, he said, with no suggestion of criticism, you have a contempt for God because he is not in your own image. <laughs> Dang. So, Voss was indeed a very arrogant man. He was very self-assured. He was very kind of contemptible of other people and he did view himself on this higher plane of level of reality of of godliness and there's it maybe he believed himself too godly was was the problem and so he this was a an impetus on his part if he thought he was a god he could maybe get away with anything or maybe he he needed to and maybe there was an outside force pushing him or something like that and we see that other characters recognize this as well so once again, they're quite deep into their journey and he's, I guess, trying to understand himself in many ways. There is a lot of introspection on his part. And there was a particular character called Frank Le Musier, which I believe is like Frank the Measurer. So, uh, if, you, if you kind of translate that from the French. And he was a character who kind of knew Voss more than himself. And um, he could kind of express this in a way which Voss wouldn't particularly be able to and i'll talk about more more of that soon and he basically was writing in this journal and all these other characters knew okay like something of deep truth is contained within here 
And we find out that there's kind of four passages which are spread across two pages. And um, I might just pick out some select quotes from these. So um, he starts with, Man is king. They hung a robe upon him of blue sky. His crown was molten. He rode across his kingdom of dust, which paid homage to him for a season with jasmine and lilies and visions of water. So he's talking about kind of Voss here. This is an, uh, an allegory for Voss. Um, as we go on, then he says, Until the sun delivered me from my body, the wind fretted my wretched ribs. My skull was split open by the green lightning. Now that I am nothing, I am love, and love is the simplest of all tongues. And then the final part, Then I am not God, but man. I am a God with with a spear in his side. So they take me when the fires are lit and the smell of uh, of smoke and ash rises above the smell of dust. The spears of failure are eating my liver as the ant men wait to perform their little rites. Oh God, my God, if suffering is measured on the soul, then I am damned forever. And it continues on in this way. And basically what you read from this passage is pretty similar to what actually happens to the characters in the end, which, uh, spoiler alert here, the as the party continues on, there's kind of a separation. Uh, Voss and two companions go one, one way. Judd, who is another um, kind of principal character, and two others go the other way. And uh, Voss ends up being kind of captured by... Voss and his party gets captured by um, some Aborigines. So actually there was Voss, two companions and the uh, black, the Aboriginal guide, Jackie, who goes with them. And the Aboriginals basically sacrifice them and, and, and kill them. And I believe this was actually uh, related to Haley's Comet as well. There's a kind of section of it talking about this great snake in the sky, which I think was Haley's Comet, but um, I'm not 100% sure on that. And yeah, there's a, we can kind of see like, dang, if there's a lot of allegories to, to him being God and then this punishment coming upon him for, for transcending from being a man into a God. And you could maybe look at the allegory of, or, or the, the example of Christ, um, this, you know, God born in, born into a, a human body and then is, is ended up being sacrificed for, for, his this saving the sins or something like that of of humanity my um my christianity is not not uh, red smoking hot <laughs> so there's one kind of thing which is i guess this is more like the christian side of it the the divine punishment looking at the the god side of it so there's like a, a religious aspect to it the other one which is one i'm more drawn to is more i guess it's like a challenge to himself and it's almost like he wants to be more than his his frail body and we can kind of see how he he tries to transcend this in a way so if we can look at some real life examples so someone like david goggins for example or uh, a lady i've had on the the podcast on the mere mortals podcast before um tanya tanya hall and there's these people who do these extreme things like ultra marathons or uh, one, my co-host on the, on that podcast also likes to talk about Ross Edgley and he's done things like swim around Great Britain until, you know, his tongue was falling to pieces and he his hands were just bloated all the time from being in water, you know, eight, 16 hours a day sort of thing. And there is this kind of aspect of self-destruction that some people want to try and transcend 
something about themselves and usually it's kind of like transcending their body in a in a way so it's it's almost like putting their body through such extreme things to see what their mind and soul can can withstand can with endure and i would say voss is kind of similar to this he whenever he's being described in the book it's not as a, a kind of strapping young man it's a usually as like a stick figure thin wiry guy who uh, but has a an inner fire within him sort of thing and uh, we we kind of see he he does achieve this in in a way so right towards the end of the book and the the very last page of the book uh, we we have someone who uh, is talking to to Laura and asking about Voss and uh, she says uh, he says, that reminds me, I didn't intended asking you about this. What shall we call him? This familiar spirit whose name is upon everybody's lips, the German fellow who died. Voss did not, did not die, Miss Trevel Van replied. He is there still, it is said, in the country and always will be. His legend will be written down eventually by those who have been troubled by it. And uh, come, come, if we are not certain of the facts, how is it possible to give the answers? The air will tell us, Miss Trevel Van said. Um, by which she had grown hoarse and fell to wondering aloud whether she had brought her lozenges. <laughs> Such a random last sentence. So we can indeed see that he, he he kind of has transcended his his body in many ways, and he has this gruesome end where his head is uh, he's he's basically dying of of thirst, of starvation, of weariness, and is is kind of just lying on this ground in this tent uh, as the Aborigines are revering him slash cursing him for for his kind of mysticism in a way and jackie his his guide at the end the one who he kind of reveres the most as, amongst his companions uh ends up coming in and then and, and cuts off his head and you know throws it into the fire and and kind of there's jubilation and uh, amongst the aborigines and yeah it's a it's a pretty messed up end and yet it Voss doesn't is isn't like woe is me <laughs> really at any point of this he's he's kind of continually being like dang I, I need to push harder I need to examine my spirit more uh, I'm contemptible of all these human weaknesses amongst my companions and amongst myself this sort of thing so I think there is this aspect of self-destruction which some people find that they need to and and self-destruction you know, i'm talking more of the body here rather than the spirit because uh, i i guess you'd argue that in many ways his spirit succeeded and he he was able to live forever and he, you know maybe he is immortal in some sort of way which is maybe what he was seeking and you can see this with other people who want to explore space or or i guess this explorer aspect of of being the first to to find out new things, even though there is a significant bodily risk um, to to themselves, and you can see this in books like Nathaniel's Nutmeg, which is talking about the spice trade and and how people from England and Holland would travel to the the East Indies. So, um, you know, this is kind of the the area the area of fever and of getting tropical diseases and <laughs> and all that sorts of thing. And yet they would continually send boat after boat. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. So there is maybe an aspect of that into explorers who are there is maybe a a sort of wanting to transcend beyond their own body. It's, a, it's something to think about. The second theme that I wanted to get onto was communication and the imperfection of language. 
So this is where we'll talk a little bit more about Laura, the other principal character. But Laura and Voss both seem to have this mm, difference, I guess, difference compared to other people in the book. And they, they don't fit in. And we see this from the very start as well. Laura's described as an intellectual, like she's a woman who reads books. How, how ridiculous, you know, how, uh, and, and this is, you know, compared to the times, uh, she, she's set apart from the very, very, very get-go. And uh, we can see this in page 102 when she's talking to Mr. Palfreyman and uh, they're just about to go, the, the, Mr. Palfreyman and Voss are just about to set off on the kind of first leg, the boat trip from uh, New South Wales. And she's talking with him and uh, he says... Uh, I'm most grateful to you. Uh, sorry, she says, I'm most grateful to you, she said, for our conversation. I shall remember it. Has it told you anything? He asked lightly. It was easy now that he was going. Not, she said, not in words. Now she was become too wooden to struggle any further in the effort to express her, herself. She seemed altogether humble and contrite, small, even hunched. She who had been proud on her powerful horse. This is pretty common. Everyone who interacts with Laura is... is even though she can be charming and witty and knows how to hold a conversation, they they come away with this kind of she's weird sort of aspect. She doesn't fit in. I, I don't understand her. And this is also similar for Voss. Uh, however, he has an easy escape with his German and he can say, you know, ah, my German, like I, I can't express myself as as well I would lo- as as I as I can in German which I think is actually a little bit bullshit. <laughs> he, I think if he was an Australian guy and he wasn't German, I think he would just not have this easy out um, that he does, which, which he uses as a kind of an excuse and he brings up uh, several times. But it's, it's not the real thing. The real thing is he, he can't express himself in words, n- nor can Laura. They, they both have this... Um, inability to to really express what is within and and communicate as clearly as perhaps other people can like her sister uh, her her cousin bell and several other the uh, of the other characters who who mostly fit in with society in general uh, although you could say that the band that Voss kind of accumulates for his trip they're all kind of a little bit misfit but not not as to the extent that I would say him and Laura are. Now, we can see that there's kind of some different sections where these two find themselves and then it's like, oh my God, I've, I've, I found a, oh, oh my God, <laughs> in the German, where they've, they've found a, a, someone who they can express themselves with. It's almost like they know each other's soul in a way. So, there's several aspects to this the first is when they have this initial meeting in a uh, in a room and and Laura is, is kind of unimpressed with him and it's just like dang this this German guy is arrogant beyond belief yet they still form a, a kind of a connection then and then subsequently at another party they uh, a garden party where they maybe get who knows how long it is in the book it it, it only goes for you know a couple of pages of conversation but let's just assume it was an hour or two that they form this much much deeper connection and it's kind of nonsensical but meaningful and 
uh, I, I won't read out any passages, but they, they're talking about these lofty, elevated ideas. It's not direct. Um, it's, it's, it's not particularly understandable for an outsider observing in like I was, but you still feel that they're, they're communicating somehow, that they are getting meaning across to each other and they, they know what they're talking about. And so they're, they're t- touching upon aspects of, of atheism and of prayer and of you know, self-destruction and they're hinting at things that, that are to come as well. Uh, and they they seem to know each other. Laura knows him, and and he knows Laura more than anyone has been able to know each of the other beforehand. Now, then they they kind of split apart, and they're they're separated. And Voss goes on his journey, and so they somewhat communicate with some messages, uh, written messages, letters. And this is where a um, a proposal is made. He proposes to her to, to be his wife. And so she is now kind of engaged to him, even though it's a, she doesn't tell anyone about it and he doesn't tell anyone about it. Uh, and yet they form this even deeper connection. And this is when they start having visions of each other. So, you know, when she goes through this fever, a brain fever of some sort, it's, it's unclear. Um, Voss appears to her in visions and much the same when Voss is going through a, these terrible periods of dehydration, of starvation, of fatigue, of even in his dreams, Laura appears and, and they, they kind of communicate with each other via that way as well. So the, there's this, the, they're communicating in, in, uh, I suppose what you would not call the normal way (laughs) in visions to each other. And then finally, you know, once he's kind of passed away or, or it's assumed he's passed away, it's uh, the the bones of, of his body are, are never found by other people outside of of um, the Jackie who, who was the one who killed him and who doesn't confess to this killing at, at all. Um, she, she Her problems, to, and she recovers from her brain fever at, at the same time that Voss is, is kind of dying. The problem remains for her of this kind of inability to communicate and um it's uh, unfortunate and she's judged for this supremely harshly so right at the end of the book as well in um uh, page 432 we see her arrive to this party her her cousin's party and uh, this is kind of 20 years later now so she's a mistress at a school um, she's looking after people, uh, after little kids, and she arrives late at this party and um, everyone is is kind of looking at her and going like, who is this person? Like, well, they know of her, but they don't know her. Um, and so, uh, I shall sit here, said Laura, and no one else would have dared. So evident was it that the stern chair belonged to its absent owners. Now you can see people were saying, is she not a crow? A scarecrow rather. Do not bring me anyone, Laura Trevelvin enjoyed. I would not care to be an inconvenience, and I have never succeeded in learning the language. I shall sit and watch them wearing their dresses. So she kind of takes this approach where it's, I, I, I don't even want to attempt really to, to fit in. I'm, I, I know who I am. I'm, I'm an outcast somewhat. And the, the judgment continues, and you can see people judging her for her dress, um, for the way she behaves, for her occupation. It, it, the, the list goes on and on. And I wonder if all of this comes down to a means of expression. And 
were would she have these problems and would people be judging her so harshly and would she have needed Voss in a way if she had found other means of expression? And so in a different time, could she have had an outlet? So one of the things that we really see is, man, it was rather oppressive for, for women and you know somewhat to men as well, uh, the customs and fashions of that time. So we can see that her, being, her liking to read books is considered unladylike. Uh, women are not allowed to to read nor write poetry per se, and if they do, you are you're kind of exposing yourself as an outcast. And some of the kids at the end um, of her school uh, were writing poetry, and it was like, oh, how improper, you know, dearest me. There's these restrictions of manners, and there's, I guess you you have to kind of follow within the. The, the bounds of proprietary and and being a of, of, of being proper and prim and whatnot uh, the dancing you know the their dance structures are very strict and you know there's no expressive dance you're not allowed to dance on your own sort of thing you it's a, it's a partner dance uh, there's just seems to be no real way for someone like her where maybe they would be able to express themselves in an artistic pursuit of some sort or, you know, nowadays with technology and video and audio and, you know, all the different ways that people can express themselves, there's, there's, there, there seemed to be such a lacking of it back then that I wonder if she had a different means or method to it, would the... I suppose, social outcast nature that she was in, would it have remained? Most likely so, but maybe it wouldn't have been so, uh, I suppose, harsh on her because there there was, you know, a lot of introspection on her part of, uh, I would say, negative introspection. She she didn't really seem to be enjoying herself for, for a lot of the time. And, and in fact, most of the characters in the book didn't seem to really be enjoying themselves <laughs> at any particular moment, um, apart from kind of the ignorant Belle who was uh, kind of blissfully unaware of the world and was the happiest of them all. So, dang, uh, those two big things there. Let's jump on to my own observations and takeaways. There's lots of small interactions within this book that I really feel deserve more in- investigation and, uh, and um we can see with Palfreyman and his sister, this is the hunchback, which I, I kind of hinted at in, in one of the quotes that I was reading. Uh, there's the Turner and Ralph. So these are two of the people on the, on the journey as well. And they are, they have this discussion related to Frank and his kind of, I suppose, being the dooms bringer in a way because of this journal, which is going to, it's kind of like he's foretelling what is going to happen in the future and they're, they're kind of expressing, uh, I guess, their, their worry that he is kind of bringing it into reality. Uh, we can look at Judd and his kind of passive independence, his ability, he's, he's so kind of calmed and controlled and, he is the the kind of reason there's a splitting up of the party after Palfreyman's death and then Palfreyman, he's the kind of joiner between the two. There's just so many other characters and uh, I've, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, dang, there's, uh, I haven't spoken enough about them. And uh, yeah, there's a, um, a reason for that. That's because <laughs> there's so much else going on in the book. 
there's a lot of re- religious symbolism as well. So I, I kind of hinted at this with the damnation and the, the God aspect, uh, the divine punishment, but the, it really does go beyond kind of my pay grade because I'm not that deep into the Christian um, religion and symbolism. And we see this with mercy. So this is the the kind of bastard daughter of uh, one of the servants called Rose who who ends up um, taking her own life and who Laura somewhat adopts. And, and uh, there's their initial meeting in the garden. This is kind of comparable to the Garden of Eden perhaps. There's the going out into the desert. This is the, you know, the, the kind of tribulation out into the desert. Uh, there's, yeah, there's so much. There is a lot contained within it. And most of it, I would say, probably went over my head just because I'm not primed for it. I'm not particularly looking for it. So you, if you enjoy that sort of religious symbolism, you might really enjoy what, what this book has to, to offer, uh, particularly of the Christian variety. And the last kind of observation is a lot of it is a word salad. The There is a lot of he- conversations within here, and I th- hope you got a taste of it from the quotes that I was reading out, where if you analyzed it word by word, it doesn't particularly make sense. It's not, it's not easy to decipher what's really being said. It's not told in a straight up direct manner. It's hidden behind veils of meaning and could be interpreted in many ways and some of the characters know seem to know what they're talking about i.e when laura and voss meet but then if laura is talking to a quote-unquote normal person then there's there's the the meaning doesn't carry across and so they're left confused or angry or unsure or scared of of her and and of voss in many ways so there is a lot of this word salad, but it, it kind of makes sense as well. And this is the unexplainable part to me because normally I'm not a fan of this type of hiding meaning behind words and being vague. It, it definitely, it was done with a purpose and an intent of writing it this way, but I don't think it was done just for the aspect of making it difficult to understand. I think there was kind of a deeper purpose behind this. And this is why I would kind of agree that, yeah, you know what, this book was worthy of of um, uh, maybe a, a Nobel Prize or something because it is so such a different style of writing that I've encountered before, and yet it it captured me. It didn't it didn't drive me away, which normally this sort of thing does. And so this makes me think, oh, okay, maybe there's there's something contained within here that I'm 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 missing, or or it's he's found a way to express himself to me, perhaps, which. Normally, in a way, I would I would dismiss as being like, oh, that's that's just poor writing, or that they, you know they're doing it just just for the sake of doing it. Whereas I feel like, yeah, you know what? Maybe this is Patrick White trying to convey something that couldn't be conveyed in uh, a normal kind of plain, easily understandable everyday language. So uh, I I did like that. I did like that aspect. So in summary. It's much like the central character Voss. The book itself is somewhat difficult to understand. It's very enigmatic and it's not straightforward. So I feel like you could pick it apart in many ways. And I almost feel like I've done a disservice in this review to all of the other characters that are contained within to maybe some of the deeper meanings. Uh, there's, there's a lot going on. There's really a lot going on in this book and they're all kind of unique aspects that you could take out 
and and examine a little bit more deeply. So I see why this is an Aussie classic. I see why he's kind of gotten the only Australian to be awarded on this such higher level. And, you know, awards are just some of these things can be gamed and whatnot. But no, I, I think this book is distinct enough that it is worthy of, of being called distinct. So I'm giving Voss by Patrick White a 7.5 out of 10. My only real distract, detraction is that I think it might require kind of another read <laughs> to, to get through to, to be able to really understand it. I wouldn't say that the I gained lots and lots of pleasure in, in the actual reading of the book, uh, but I did afterwards in kind of my own examination and looking at things a little bit more deeply. So, yeah, uh, it's a, a, a distinct book. And so if you're looking for something uh, perhaps that you've never read before, perhaps that's a, um, related to Australians or very individual, I, I would say this is maybe a, a good book to pick up for you. And that is it for today, my mere mortalites. Thank you for joining me to this part of the audio. What are your thoughts on Voss, on Patrick White, on self-destruction and the inability to communicate I would love to know all of these things. And funnily enough, the best way you can communicate to the this to me is via a boostergram. So if you're listening to this uh, on a n- application, a podcast app that doesn't support chapters and, and boostergrams, I would highly recommend going over and getting a new one. Uh, one, the value for you is a little bit better because I'm including pictures and chapter markers and images uh, as you're listening to this. So you can get a kind of visualization as well. And then if you enjoy that extra value, I just uh, ask that you send that back. There's a value for value podcast. And so if you have enjoyed my interpretations, if you've gotten anything from this, uh, I just, yeah, would really appreciate if you could do that back. So you could do this by sharing it with a, another person, a friend saying, you know, the Mere Models book reviews, I really enjoy what Kyron and or Juan uh, are deconstructing or what they're examining in that book. Uh, You could do this by uh, highlighting some aspects that perhaps I've missed from the book. And you can also do this via a boostergram. So this is a message sent directly within the app, one like Fountain or Breeze or um, Podverse, Castomatic, all fantastic apps. And it's a payment of Satoshis with a message attached. And you can leave me a message that way. And I do highly appreciate that because you'd be supporting the show and giving me some content to talk about in the end of month book recap where I go over all of these messages and thank you individually for your support as well. So dang, lots of things going on there. The other thing you could do is check out the Mere Mortals podcast. So all of the kind of themes and these these ideas that I read from these books, they, they typically make it into the discussions that I have with Juan on, on the Mere Mortals podcast. And uh, yeah, so if you enjoyed my thoughts on this book, perhaps you'd enjoy my thoughts on uh, aspects related to goal setting, to fitness, to uh, studying languages, to all of these different things. So yeah, lots of recommendations there for you. With all that being said, I do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. And I hope you're not in the middle of the Aussie outback. Chiron. <laughs>